Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part one of my two-part conversation with Melissa Byers, Be sure to listen to part two when you have time. Today, I'm very happy about speaking with Melissa Byers. She's going to tell us a story she had told to a friend of mine, Jen Lee, who is on one of my earlier podcasts. And Jen Lee said, whatever you do, make sure you catch up with Melissa because you have to hear her heroic story. Melissa, welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Good, good. I am too. Very excited to have you here. Maybe a good place to start might be just give us a snapshot kind of life growing up before you were dating or meeting meeting up with guys, you know, in a more meaningful way than running around a schoolyard or something. I grew up in Northern California with parents who are still married. They were, you know, met when they were in high school, a small town girl, very active, did dance and singing. So always competitive things, played sports. I have a sibling, typical suburban style family in a rural part of California. So, you know, growing up fishing and doing other extra extracurricular activities that typically you wouldn't think of. Um, But yeah, you know, hanging with my friends and just a typical life. But there were signs, I would think, that led to a lot of what was to come for me. Describe the signs, but also how old were you when you noticed the signs or when you look back, you you know signs were there? Well, I was always really kind of like bullied as a child. I was more the sensitive kid. I did have kind of a hard shell at times, but I was picked on a lot. And it was probably more around seventh grade. I was told I wasn't pretty enough to be a girlfriend. I was always going to be just the friend. My looks and my weight and a lot of things about that of who I am was really picked apart when I was growing up. Now, are these guys doing most of this or or just anybody, boys and girls? Yeah, it was both. 
So people really went out of their way to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, and it was really difficult because when you're a teenager, I have a hard enough time as it is because you're finding out who you are going into an adult. Here I am thinking I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. But here I'm, I'm a straight A student and I'm super smart, very talented. But those are the areas that they really pinpointed well for me to be very negative and down as well. Now, did you take this home to your parents at times and sit down with mom and dad and say, this is what these kids are saying? My mom knew. I mean, I would come home crying sometimes because even like it felt like my friends who were supposed to be the people that, you know, you trust, they were still bullies too. They weren't ever really genuine (laughs) friends. So it's difficult to think that those are the people you spent all your time with, but those in reality were never true friends. Did you want to change schools or anything like that or? So a small town, we only had one high school. (laughs) That makes it hard. Not changing schools was not an option. Okay. I didn't want to change schools. I think that I just wanted to find me in a way. And I think as I got older into my senior year, I had one friend that was like my best friend, like a sister. We did everything together. I kind of started coming into a new shell Her aunt was teaching me how to do makeup. I was doing my hair a little bit different. So things were trying to change on maybe who I was going to become even later in life because that didn't happen for me even in my 20s really so much. It was a glimpse to know now looking back where I was, how I got to what I went through and kind of like where changes were going to go. Okay. Now you said senior before you said seventh grade. So we, we jumped about five years. Yeah, my whole childhood. And so seventh grade was very forthcoming because that's when it was really noticeable that like I was just never going to be that girl. But it continued all the way through high school. I had a lot of friends, a lot of guys that were friends. I did not date in high school, really. Of course, I had some interests, but it just never, we just never, I just never did. That is tough. That's a really tough thing. You know, I think it's, easier to talk about this in a sense that I grew up in an era where social media wasn't present yet. Thank goodness, right? Right, because I didn't have the extra bullying on top of it. Sure, sure. It would have been plastered on social media and whatnot. So it was nice. However, again, a small town, you really can't escape it because everybody knows everybody. Did you ever search out any teachers about this or you didn't want to, just didn't want to bring up the subject? I mean, they knew, like some of the teachers knew, especially in high school. I had one teacher I would go and talk with a lot. On top of dealing with all of that, my mother has been ill since I was eight. So I took care of her a lot. So I think just in general, my lifestyle of a child just was very different. I did child things. I was able to be a child, but at the same time, I grew up kind of fast. I took care of my mom at times. I was helping out around the house. For me... I think part of the problem wasn't just physical features, but it could have been mentality. I didn't have the mentality to go to a party after school. I didn't have those thoughts. I wasn't the average typical teenager. I would go out once a week. I had lots of friends. I was always out at dance and and doing things. But when it would come to home life, I was either practicing my singing or helping my mom out. I wasn't the kind who was just going to be like, oh, I'm going to sit and talk on the phone for five hours. It wasn't like that for me. I really did take on other roles. And it developed this thing that I still have today, which is taking on a lot of different things and staying very active and ensuring that everybody is taken care of, just those roles. 
Do you think you kept active because if you're, all your time is booked up, you don't have a lot of time to think about how you really feel? Or do you think you just kept saying yes to everything that came along and you're just a giver? So I'm a nurturer by nature, and I think that okay. stems from taking care of my mother, which also plays a role into how I ended up in some of my situations. Okay. Between being bullied and not being accepted for who I was, and then just being a nurturer really led to my relationships that were not the best. Let's venture into that area now. How old were you when you first ran into somebody who treated you in an unhealthy fashion? My first marriage even wasn't very healthy. I met him when I was 19 and we got married when I was 20. Okay. So I was very young. Mm -hmm. It seemed like everything was great. Like this new guy in town, like he's super nice. I showed him around. Things seemed great. There's red flags all over it when you look back now. It was the fact that somebody showed me attention. They saw me as pretty. They saw me as something other than maybe just that friend. And it didn't really hit me until I look back on it now. We were actually married for five years together for six. When we were together, it was not so controlling until he switched his careers. And when he went into being a correctional office officer, it became very controlling. I can't go to school for this. I couldn't do this. I had to get rid of my shoes if we were doing this. Or It was almost like I had to be what he wanted me to be. What you're wearing, how does that affect his career? I mean, are the shoes too uh, risque or something? What's the problem with the shoes? No, when we were moving, we downsized. And so part of the plan was you get rid of all of this stuff and shoes were one of them. I'll buy you more shoes is what he used to tell me. And I would be like, okay. I, I never really understood that other than he just really wanted to control everything I did. So from how I looked to everything. And it got to a point where I think I was so unhappy and he was kind of so unhealthy for me. I gained a whole bunch of weight. Like I was super heavy. I got all the way up to 260 at my heaviest. For those who know me personally, I mean, I've lost 130 pounds. So it's, it was a very drastic thing for me in that relationship. Do you think eating was uh, just a comfort thing for you? Like oh. everything else is kind of a mess, but at least I can eat these uh, potato chips and chocolate and I don't know. Oh, Pizza. for sure. And um, in that relationship, we also lost a child. My child was stillborn. And uh, so I was wow. young. Sorry. I was 23. And so, you know, your emotions, I ate my emotions like crazy. I wasn't what he wanted. So of course, the cheating started to happen. And we just couldn't get through anything together. And I realized when we were going through our divorce, this was never going to be healthy. This was there's blessings in disguise of everything that happened, but it did trigger the fact that I allowed an unhealthy relationship. Now, I was not smart enough to understand part of the problem is myself. At that mm -hmm. time, I just was mm -hmm. seeing everything from the other perspective, everything he did, nothing that I could do changed. I see that. You talked about red flags really from the beginning, which you saw things happening but your interpretation wasn't what it would be once you knew what those things really meant. But literally, what were some of the things that you didn't quite catch on to in the beginning? Well, I mean, he had an ex who was pregnant and he's like, well, I don't know if that's mine. Let's see. He moved down to just kind of get away, I think. And then he couldn't hold jobs. He had some um, personality shifts where it would be like 
really happy one day, mood swings, just a lot of things that, you know, when you're younger, you don't really think about. You just say, oh, no, it's fine. Or like, oh, no, it's probably not his kid. Or, oh, it's okay. You're 19. In reality, you don't even know what anything is. <laughs> well, I think at times, don't you think that, especially with your your history leading up to this, you know, you weren't getting up at bat very often with guys. And this guy comes along, and I guess there were attractive parts about him. And I would imagine love bombing. I'm sure he was doing something right here and there, right? He was yeah, opening doors in his own way or getting you things or, you know, whatever, saying all the right things that you hadn't heard very much of. So you're at that time willing to overlook those things that get stuck in your teeth, but you think, well, but he's got so many other things. And plus this stuff that's bugging me, it'll probably dial out at some point anyway, and the whole thing will work out just great. I mean, don't you think you make excuses for somebody like that? You do. And then on top of it, I knew he had issues and I'm a fixer. I'm a nurturer. So like in my defense, that would be me. Like, I'm just going to help fix this person, help this person. And in reality, number one thing, a relationship is never built on fixing anybody or changing anybody. So that is a very hard lesson for most people to learn. Like, you are with that person as they are. You are not there to change a person, yes. right? If they're going to change, it's up to them. That was a big thing for me as well. Like, so I'm seeing this person with issues and now I'm here to help. So in a way you, you, uh, you of course like the good parts and in a way you see the parts that aren't so good, but you're thinking, wow, I just have some work ahead of me and this guy's going to be amazing by the time I get some of the dents out and give him a new paint job, you know? Yep. My struggling metaphor. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, and it's it's a thing that I actually, I myself have a health condition and illness that actually developed during this relationship. And it's funny enough that he would kind of be there for me and he would go to my appointments, but it would be as crazy as I would come out of a doctor's office and I would have a different vehicle. Okay. What, wait a minute. He would, he would have a different car? No, I, my car would be gone and a new one would be there. Like he would, he took my car and traded my car in for his truck. Oh my goodness. So it's like, I didn't have a say in anything. That's what I'm saying. So I'm young. I'm with this person. I'm realizing as we're going through and we're progressing, right? So now we're at the very end of this marriage and I realize, okay, the cheating, the crazy spending habits, the I'm sick and you're doing this while I'm sick. Okay. So it was very difficult to understand that I was going to be divorced by the age of 25. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Kind of uh, checking all the boxes early in life, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm, I'm still back to the pickup truck. <laughs> I'm, I'm still seeing that scene. I, I would never in a million years guess where that was going to go. Yeah. And, uh, I imagine when you went to get in this new vehicle, how did that conversation go? I mean, you walk out and go, what am I looking at? I mean, what? How did he dance around that one? It, it was very concerning, but of course he come up with excuses. Oh, I got a great deal over oh, this. You know, you were in there for however long, you know, I needed something, you know, I wanted a new car. And it's just like, I didn't even have the energy to argue at oh, that point. Goodness. The curtains eventually coming down on this relationship. How did that time period play out? Was he helpful in, in letting the marriage go? Or was this a wartime story too? Nope. It was easy. I left and went to my parents' house and I did the divorce documents. Then we just, I gave it to him. He did try to come down and be like, oh, we should be together. I think that was a 10 minute togetherness thing. I went out with him 
And after like five minutes of being around, I'm like, take me back. Like, <laughs> this is not happening. It wasn't anything other than that. I mean, it literally just was done. And I'm like, okay, we're done. Do you think that it was easy because he was looking down the street to someone else anyway? So this is just paperwork to sign. Why do you think he made it easy? I think it was easy because I was over it. I had been at my parents' house. I had a support system and he, yeah, he had moved on and I was okay with that. I, I was, had come to terms because I think in reality, something else that we don't think about is the relationship was already over. This was not, oh, I'm ripping a cord now. It's been prolonging, right? Like you've already read this story and it's just coming to an end. You're just rolling credits to this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So he is out of the picture. Is, is he out of the picture for keeps, this one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. So then what do you do? Do you put yourself back out there in the world and, or, you know, you tell me. So I waited six months and I had friends and I started going to church and there's somebody that I ended up dating from church okay. and we were together for two years and it was a very healthy relationship. I actually right. had a grown up healthy relationship. It opened my eyes to like, oh, this is what I can really have. However, we were engaged and we were going to get married Good. three months before our wedding. He called it off. Oh. Because his family didn't like my illness. It was getting worse. And they just assumed that I was mental or just these things. Because I have a rare condition that caused speech problems. And so they just couldn't understand it. And being that he was 10 years older than me, you would think he would be able to just be like, this is my life. No. He listened to mommy and daddy. And that's fine. That was probably hard for me. Because this is somebody that we did so much together in a healthy way. We would not be constantly in contact daily. Like I didn't have somebody controlling me. We would cook together. We cleaned together. You know, I had my friends. He had his friends. We would have fun nights together. But then it would be like we had our own lives too. So it was super healthy. Yeah, that's good. That is the way it's supposed to be. You're right. Absolutely. That is, that's exactly I'm glad you said that because I've had conversations with a lot of people over the last couple of years with this podcast and the unhealthy relationships, there's all this drama and there's all this phone call stuff and there's all this texting and it's like every minute is just pressurized, everything, if anything, around the clock. And what you're talking about is exactly what it should be. It, you know, you know that person's there, you know the relationship, you don't have to be challenging it the whole time. Like, are we still good? You know, is this already, you know, doesn't have to keep bringing you flowers every five minutes, you know, to. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like he was close to my family too, which was a big deal. Good. And I mean, it was to a point where it was really sad when it all came crashing down. But again, it's okay because when I realized like this person is not willing to stand by me through things, then I realized that's not somebody I, I would want to be married to because that means in tough times in a marriage, they yes. wouldn't stand by. Yes. Yes. I agree with you with that. It's hard in the moment, but with the wisdom of time, you look back and say something else would have come along and it would have been, he wouldn't be able to handle it. He wouldn't be there for you. Correct. So, and then in that span of time, after that relationship ended, I really worked on me. I lost like a lot of weight. I lost like 85 pounds and I was- I'm just curious, in what time period did you lose that? It was probably a good six, seven months. And I just ate healthy exercise. 
I had actually injured my foot and I needed to have surgery. So I was going to get my surgery. So I was doing all these things for myself, had my own place, still going to church, you know, had my job. I was this independent girl for a while. And then I was laid up and inside a Christian chat room because I couldn't go anywhere. And so I just wanted people to talk to my friends would come now and then but you're really bored if you're just sitting at home. And I am not, I'm not a sitter. So I was inside this Christian chat room, I would chat with these friends from all over, we would talk about anything, just life. And sometimes it would just be about Bible stuff and just how do we things in general. And this person started kind of conversing with me more so. And I was like, who is this? I don't know this person. Then they would talk to me outside of the group. And I'm like, that's fine. Well, we became kind of friends, which was fine. I mean, it's cool. But that's when I realized I was not as strong as I thought I was. So it turned into, well, maybe we're going to be in a relationship. Maybe not. They didn't live here. They lived in Florida. So, so at this point, is it still chat or is it we moved to phone calls and things? Or do you, have you seen this person at that point? Well, it was all, it was phone calls and chat. So it's not just chat, it was phone calls. Okay. And I'd seen the person by video, but then I decided, I was like, fine, I'll, I'll go to Florida to go see the person. Like, um, I've always wanted to go. I have, I have a cousin that lives here. So I was like, I'll go. So I came, things were okay. It was fun. I was looking around. I thought Orlando, it was in Orlando. I thought Orlando was cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely not a city as I thought coming from Northern California, used to San Francisco. So <laughs> very different. Then I go back home and we're still talking, but there's red flags like the arguing starting or the controlling aspect of language. And I will give excuses. Okay. Well, tell me about that. Now you're arguing about language. What does that mean? So the way he talked to me, very demeaning and condescending and would probably yell at me more so than be nice to me. And I would make... But was it like your your vocabulary didn't have a high enough IQ? Is that what that's supposed to be? Kind of. Like he would treat me like I was dumb. And he would kind of, I would say, try to put me in my place in a sense of not of a caring aspect, but we would say as a demeaning and bullying, bring me down aspect. And I would tell my friends like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, it's okay. Like I said something. So then he decides he's going to come out and he came out to California. And at this point, I'm like, you know, I I, want to move to Florida. Like, I want to do this. I just want to get out of this small town. I want to get away from all of this stuff. I'd love to go to Florida. So I do. I, I, I eventually moved to Florida with him. And that was where the worst of my domestic violence of my life started. All right. Let's give me a sense of how that moved along. So now, do you we, move in with him or do you have a, an apartment near him or no, I moved in with him and okay. we're together for like a month now and things have been going. Okay. Things seemed okay. I was trying to get a job. You know, I had interviews and things were good. I met some of these friends of his that ultimately became my friends later we were having fun. Things were okay. Nothing bad. It wasn't until April. So I moved the beginning of March. So the middle of April is when things got heated. And that's because we ran off and got married at a courthouse. Now mm-hmm. I am not for that. Please. If you're listening, understand that running off and getting married is not a good idea. 
I think that that was a changing and a turning point to an eye opener that I never thought possible. That night is the time that I first got physically assaulted. So on your wedding night? Yes. We we went out for drinks and had fun with our friends like we always did. We would play poker or karaoke or all these things. And when we got back, I had just questioned him because I noticed his phone. And I just immediately knew he was must be talking to other people. And I had questioned it. And the minute I questioned is the minute that he started putting hands on me. And it wasn't just a shove. It was full-blown shoving, choking, punching. It was the worst time. And here I am 3,000 miles away from anybody I truly know. I don't have a job. I literally am stuck in a situation that is not the best for anything because you don't have anywhere to go. You don't know anybody. You have no means other than whatever I moved with. About all you have is a ring on your finger. Did you actually have that? I did. Okay. But I'm pretty sure I bought it. You're not the first one to tell me that in one of these conversations. In fact, I think that this one, this one guy bought it and the first she knew that they were engaged in this case was him showing her the receipt. <laughs> and they were walking across the lot at a Walmart when he showed the receipt. I guess that was supposed to be, here, honey, guess, take, take a look at what's coming your way, you lucky, <laughs> you lucky person to know me. Oh, man. No. Well, how do you, I mean, somebody's physically banging you all around the place. Talk about that. You know, what's what's going on through your mind during that? I mean, to be thoroughly pummeled and, as you said, strangulated by somebody. I mean, it's a nightmare. It, it was. Um, how, how long I, would you say this took place? How long do you think that this person was injuring you, hurting you, harming you? At least 20 minutes. Um. It, 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 I'll tell you in the moment, you just kind of go like, is this really happening? And like, right. it's shocking. you are so shocked that you almost don't know how to react. And I didn't know how to react. Right. Like I just was like, what is this? This is, this is how, what I mean, I've known of verbal and controlling and financial from my previous, but for this, I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't understand this. And I just remember shoving back, which was, Probably not the best thing, but that's the only, that's your reaction, like is to sure, push back. Sure, make it stop, of course. Right. I I just know, and this is probably something that people have talked about on your podcast, is the repercussion after is a lot of the tears from them of like, I'll, I'm so sorry, I didn't know what I was doing. I, mm-hmm. I never I, happened before. It'll, it'll never happen again. I've never done this before. All these things that they say to get you to think that like, okay, this won't happen again. Yeah, it was an aberration. Yeah. Yeah. So I do know that. So let me ask you, okay, still staying in that moment. Once it stops, is that when this person's crying his eyes out and he's now coming at you from all angles with this convincing apology and I guess convincing only because you stayed with him. But what do you do after all that? I mean, he's gone through all this stuff. Are you thinking, okay, I buy it? Or are you thinking, I'm just happy I'm not getting hit? Or are you just going to get some ice to put on it? I mean, what are you doing at that time, at that moment? I am in shock. And I am buying into what he's saying. And all I want is just to be left alone. Like, I I don't... You want peace. 
yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear any more words. I don't, I don't want to feel any more things. I just want to be left alone. And it wasn't until the next day that it really hit me hard when I noticed an entire like handprint bruise around my neck, mm-hmm. thinking to myself, how do you cover this up? Right. Turtleneck. That's about all you could do. Makeup's not going to do this. And sure. at the time my hair was short. So I'm like, that's a full blown exposure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was definitely eye opening for me. Then it stopped. But the thing that started happening was the anger wasn't now just being directed at me. It would be like a punch of the wall or it would be like a throwing of something. And at this point, I got a I got a job interview that went really well. We're talking now like a week after. And so I'm going to be starting this job. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. Like, I need this. Yes. When I go to start this job, I find out I'm pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a complication. It is. So I remember my first day of my first job here. I looked at my boss and said, well, you know, I'm pregnant. He's like, that's okay. I mean, you're going to be here for nine months and you're going to come back. I'm like, yes. So now I'm like, okay, good, good, good. Because this is my saving grace. This gets me out of the house. Like I'm sure. yeah. making money. Maybe some, make some money. Sure. Right. Okay. Right. So I'm so excited for that. Then comes the, well, we got to move because this place isn't big enough for, it's a one bedroom. This is not going to work. And he has a child too from a previous. So I was like, this isn't working. Is that child with you? At that place, no. He's in and out. He doesn't really come that much. It's only on weekends. Okay. So. Whose idea to move to another place was it? Was it your idea? Yeah. Or his? Mine. It was yours. I was going to guess you. Okay. Yeah. So we moved to another place, which is much bigger. And how's how's his behavior during this time? Is he like the nicest guy in the world or is he uh, in and out of uh, spitting anger at you? No, he's the nicest guy in the world. And, you know, we're talking about a couple months now. But the move comes, and during the move, he was kind of irrational a little bit. It was more like anger, realizing, like, I can't do a whole lot. Like, I'm pregnant. Hello. Like, I can't be carrying a whole bunch of stuff up and down stairs, Mm -hmm. especially because I'm a high-risk pregnancy. It stopped being physical during the pregnancy, but it was Mm -hmm. very, very emotional, very verbal, to a point that... I would be like, maybe if I just stay a little longer at work, it would be better than going home. Right. Facing that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then he was working opposite shifts. So then I started being like, oh, this is great. Like you're going to work when I'm coming home. Fantastic. This couldn't be any better than I could have asked for. I can't see little enough of you. Right. And then he couldn't hold a job. Like all of a sudden he couldn't hold his jobs anymore. Like he would lose this contract because he did security work. So he would not be at this site. He had to go to a different site and then the money stuff would change. And then just all this stuff started happening, almost ready to give birth because my son was born in December, Mm -hmm. quite pregnant, still working full time, still exercising, still doing everything. Just keep your job. Like just, can you do that for me? Like just keep it. It's difficult when you have somebody who's verbally telling you that you're just not enough or, you know, you're a B word. There's so many things that I was called by him or just, I couldn't do this or you don't do this anymore. You don't give me this attention. And it's like, I am literally ready to pop and I don't want to give anybody attention. I want to 
Like, this is me time, right? This is my time. Yeah. If it's ever going to be your time, it's this time. Yes. Yeah. And so I just remember even when it was time to have my son, he was so non-existent. I'm wow. like, it's time to have the baby. And he's sleeping on a couch. I wake him up and we're inside this room. We're at the hospital. And I remember he was like, yeah, I'll go in a minute. Yeah, there's no hurry. No, I'm like, I'm having a baby. Like you need to go get a nurse. You need to go do something. Okay, give me a minute. There's no minute. I guess it was inconvenient for him. Apparently so. Apparently was. <laughs> what a daddy. What a daddy uh, figure this is. Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, the minute that I had my son is the minute that physical was going to start again. Oh, really? And it did. That's when I was like, great, because I have a child in this house, and now I got to protect this child. And I do have a job, but... He didn't have his, his was still there somewhat. And my son was going to be going to this daycare for a little bit. He would drop him off. I could pick him up, all these kind of things. He was only gone for like maybe an hour at a daycare for this private lady. And he was like eight weeks at the time when he had to go because mm -hmm. I, I needed to go back to work. I was the breadwinner. So, um, okay. which also was not the best thing in the world because that was a bad thing to, yeah. to him. Yeah. That didn't make him feel great about himself. I'm sure. No. So now he decides that he's not going to work anymore. Like he's going to lose this job. He's, he just doesn't want to be there. So he quits working. And Is I'm he like, thinking, what's the point of getting a job? I'm only going to lose it anyway. Is that what he's thinking? No, I just think that he, he has attitude issues and he can't keep jobs at this point. Oh, okay. So he's going to start taking care of my son, which is fine. I did get my son into another daycare because I wanted him to go and I wanted him to be actively involved in the daycare. And it was interesting enough to know that if I took my son to daycare, I could come home from work and I'd be like, where's our child? Oh. Yeah. I'm like, what have you done today? Oh, I have to go pick up the kid. Like you couldn't even pick up, pick up a child. Okay. I mean, he claimed he forgot or he just wasn't interested and figured... Someone will get him. And he just felt like sleeping, I think. Oh. Hmm. So I'm playing. Well, you know, what I thought you might tell me was once the baby was born, he was a proud father. He couldn't help showing him off everywhere. No. Because that happens too sometimes. They switch into, hey, this is uh, this says good things about me, so I'm going to parade my son around and you know, look what I did kind of thing. But he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't do that. No. And like, it got worse. I just remember that it didn't matter if my son was in my arms, the pushing, the shoving, the beatings were just as bad. And I know one time he shoved me and like my kid hit the, um, the shower door. The bathroom was always my protective thing. I would always grab my son, lock ourselves in the bathroom. At this point mm -hmm. in time, my parents are now knowing all of this. Like I've hid this pretty well, but now my parents are knowing my dad's had to break up a few of his outbursts. Wow. When we went to California with the, my son to go show my family, he got into my dad's face there because he shoved me in their home and I hit the wall and my dad oh. heard and my dad was like, hey, what's going on in here? And so then there was a big to do there. So it didn't stop and it was just getting worse. At this point, I'm like, I need to do something. And my work is starting to kind of see something's not right because not in my work ethic, but when I go and tell them, hey, I need to go home because there's some stuff with my husband and I need to make sure my son's okay or things are okay because of this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So he was a veteran. And so I'll be like, oh, it's just because he has PTSD or he has these things. That's what he always used. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things to it. So I would I would say those things. And my one boss who is also a veteran, like a lot of them are where I used to work, would be like, yeah, I don't know that I want you to go home. And he's worried if he's going to see you back here. Yes. Yes, there's there was a lot of that. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm going to go home. And he's like, well, I can't hold you. So, okay. And I remember calling the cops so many times, but being told that he would say things to them too, so that like I did something so that our son would get taken away. So of course, when the police would arrive, I'd be like, no, no, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Of course, they would take me aside and be like, you know, here's the pamphlet. We know what's going on. We don't want to come back out here anymore. Like it got to that kind of a point. But I ultimately decided, all right, I'm going to counseling. Just by yourself. Yes. We tried a marriage counseling. I I will tell you that we did try a marriage counseling. And I remember sitting in there and not being able to just talk and not being able to say anything. Like I, I'm not going to, I could not sit there and say, yeah, like he beats me. He chokes me. He beats me. He shoves me. He punches me. He can't take care of a kid. I could not do that in that room because that was not going to happen with him sitting there. Well, and also when you walk out to the car or go home, how's that going to go? Exactly. So I was like, well, I told him, I said, you know, I really want to go to counseling. I'm going to go to counseling by myself. So we're talking now July of 2015. So I go and it was an eye opener for me because the lady was like, why do you stay in a crappy relationship? And why, why are you in one? Like she was not going to let me just slide through this and talk about feelings. It was no, no, we're doing this. Oh, she really called you on it. That's good. She's forcing the issue. Yes. That was day one. That was how I met her. I was like, what is this? I was like, okay. Um, I don't know. She's giving you a harsh reality check. That's what it is. It's a wake up call. She was the best counselor. And yes, she gave me a wake up check. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And that's when everything really started to turn for me because you have to understand now it's like, okay, so my family kind of knows all this stuff is going on. My work kind of sees some things going on. Now I have this person in my corner who's not going to allow me to keep going down these paths. That's great. So we had a huge blow up in a store and I remember him throwing the keys at me, making a scene and walking out. And I was like, okay, he drained my bank account. I had no money. He just drained it. Sorry. And I like was like, you know, I have a kid. I have the kid and this is what you do. So I was able to make a deal with him to get the money back in there. And then I said, I have to go run an errand. And him not thinking anything of it, I ran to the bank, opened a bank account in my name only, and transferred all the money so that he could not do that again. Good. And then I immediately, the following week on Monday, got my direct deposit and stuff changed. So none of my paychecks would go into a bank account that he had access to. I was telling my counselor about all this and she's like, okay, she's like, we really need to get you out of this. And I said, okay, she goes, you need to start making checklists of things to do. And in this checklist, it was like, have your own bank account, make sure you have your job, make sure you can get his name off a lease, make sure you know, you're going to go get a new car after all this, you're going to go do all these things, but he doesn't know who you are. Good. Ultimately, I did kick him out and sent him to his parents house in Georgia, far enough away However, when you're a victim of domestic violence, they have a way of coming back. They're kind of like a leech. 
and you can't get them to go. He's gone, but now I'm getting these phone calls of like, oh, I just want my family, and oh, I've messed up, and like, oh, I'll do better, and it's like, okay, no. Mm -hmm. It's like, I got the job, I have the bank account, I have the car, like, no, like I'm so close, no, this can't be happening, and nope, 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 of course, I, I'm like, okay, you can come back. Oh, no, don't tell me that. I did. So he came back. And I'm like, well, you're only coming back if your stipulation is you're going to go to school. If you're not going to work, you're going to school. Like, you're going to do something. You can't just sit here. So I got him into school. What kind of school? What was it? A trade school. Okay, to learn what? Um, Diesel mechanic. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that would keep him busy. Okay. Right. Okay. And then plus, I, I, I could, given where I was working and stuff. So, yeah, he didn't show up for his classes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need you to go because you get money given your past with veterans and stuff. You get extra housing. You get all these things when you go. Like, it would help out tremendously. Go do these things. Make money. Do something. You know, something you can learn. And then you could use it. Make more money. Like, go. No. 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 Did not work. No. However, he conned me into getting him a car, which was not a great idea. But it was in both our names. So he got a car because his other car just happened to not work anymore. And then came an explosive evening in November where I think I just said something he just didn't like. I, I've yet to figure that out. I think he just didn't like what I said. And it wasn't even a bad thing. It might have been me joking. And I'm a very sarcastic individual. And I just remember him jumping over the couch and that was like the worst nightmare of my life that day. And I thought to myself, this is not happening anymore. Like, this is not, no, this is not how this is. I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm not going to keep barricading myself in bathrooms because I looked at him wrong or I said something wrong. Like, I'm, I don't want to be punched anymore, bruises everywhere, wear long sleeves. Like, I just don't want this. Okay, well, let me slow you down. Now, he jumps over the couch, but then what happens? Um, I remember I had the broom in my hand. I must have been, I was sweeping and he came straight over and just shoved me to that wall, slams the broom down, starts choking me. Then he's going to oh. go for my son. I'm like, no, you're not touching the baby. Like, so then I go down there, grab my kid before you, you him. Mean he, you thought he's going to get physical with your son next? Oh, he was going to go pick him up. And so I knew I was like, you're but not touching pick him me. up to do what? I don't do know what? if he was going to pick him up and take him. I don't know. I just remember that was a no-no. Like, I'm going in there. You're not touching the kid. And how old is your son at that point on that? Would you guess? So I he's mean, not even two yet. Okay. I'm just trying to set the picture. Okay. Yes. He's not quite two. I just remember barricading us in the bathroom. Mm. He had to go to, at this point, I think he got his job back at security. So after he wouldn't go to school, I said, if you're not going to go to school and get this, then you got to go back or else this is not happening. So he did. And I remember... He was like, well, I'm supposed to go to work. And I said, that's probably the best place for you, but you're staying at your friend's house. You're not coming back here. He left and I called the police and I made a police report for the first time. And I was like, I can do this. And his friend called me and his friend was like, I'm going to take him to the VA. And I was like, okay, yeah, you should. You should maybe, maybe take him somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, taking him to the VA, what is that going to achieve? I think they just really thought he just needed help. Like, he mentally just needed help. But Need in some kind of an evaluation of some kind. Yeah. But in reality, I, I um, there's a lot to it that we learn. We, we'll learn in just a, a little bit. But uh, so I said, fine. And then I was like, okay, so December's coming now. And my mm -hmm. son and I are going to go to California. And he's still not back in my house. 
And I said, hey, you need to get your stuff out. You need to get out. I'm going to California. You can take care of the cat, but you need to get your stuff out <laughs> while you're doing this for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm gone and I come back and he's not gone. I've been gone a whole week and he's not gone. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, I didn't say come back. I said, get your stuff and go. That was kind of a torturous thing because now I'm sitting here going like, wait a minute, I had you gone. You were supposed to get the rest of your stuff and now you're back. It's like, it's like you just can't go. So I remember talking to my counselor and she said, okay, this is how this is happening. At this point in time, it's either I put you in hiding or you kick him out. I thought to myself, hiding? Like, I don't want to be that person. Some halfway house situation. Undisclosed place. Well, I mean, I started laughing. Yeah, I started laughing at her. Like, I thought she was crazy. I'm like, I'm not a Lifetime movie. Like, that's not that's not what this is. Like, I'm not, what, I'm going to become some Jane Doe. Like, you're going to give me a new name and I'm going to go live somewhere out in the middle of some, like, country place or I'm going to have a whole new identity. Like, uh, no. And she just looked at me and she's like, well, then I guess you're going to have to kick him out. And I was like, what? Okay. Okay. This ends part one of my two-part conversation with Melissa Byers. Thank you for listening. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.